0: Welcome to the Connect the Dots podcast. Jeffrey Klein has conversations with a diverse array of successful people, sharing their stories to educate, inspire, and entertain. Here is your host, Jeffrey. My guest today is Chris Perry, an award-winning writer and director with 25 years of animation experience. He began his career at Rhythm & Hues and Pixar before helping create four award-winning independent short films including The Incident at Tower 37 and Caldera. Perry's work has earned him a SciTech Oscar and a mega grant from Epic Games. Chris is a tenured professor at Hanford College and has a screenwriting textbook out with Bloomsbury Press in 2022. Welcome, Chris.
1: Thank you, Jeffrey. Nice to be here.
0: Uh, I like to start at the beginning. So where were you born and what did your parents do for a living?
1: I, I was born in Northern California, um, uh, officially in a town called Greenbray. And my parents, they've they have had their own exciting careers. But at the time, when I think about my when I was young, my dad was an accountant who would uh, put on a suit every day and drive into San Francisco. And my mom wa- bounced around for a number of smaller sales jobs and ultimately found a lot of fulfillment in doing outplacement work. So helping people find work that had been recently laid off or who were getting laid off. Those That's what they were doing when I consider myself young.
0: Well, when you were young then, with those kind of uh, examples, what did you, people said to you, you know, your eight or nine-year-old self, what do you want to be when you grow up? What, what would you have said?
1: Oh, astronaut, instantly and always. <laughs> that was a consistent for many, many years.
0: Uh, as I think is true of a lot of us. Yeah, probably. Um, and, <laughs> Other than your parents, was there anyone you looked up to as a role model when you were growing up? Buzz Aldrin, maybe, or you know.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I I I think I was pretty insulated and wasn't looking far beyond, you know, being a student. And um, I, I I grew up with two stepbrothers, and I have two stepbrothers, because when my parents got divorced, they both got remarried. And they're both older than me, like two and three years older. And honestly. probably don't even realize this but but they were very big role models to me in terms of uh, their approach to school and at the time you know when you're a kid that's kind of like your work is your is your school and they both were very serious students um, and I kind of absorbed osmotically their approach to their studies and prioritizing school Um, and I didn't you know it wasn't until I was a little older, I think, that I had sort of role models that were maybe more visible than that. But yeah, both my stepbrothers were big role models for me.
0: Well, I, I have to ask my brother. I have a, a younger stepbrother who's only nine months younger. And oh. so I have to ask him about our influence on him because I, I have an older brother as well. So I hope we had very different ideas about work and school. And uh, but although we all took it very seriously, um, right. as, as you kind of had to when you your parents, you know, believe in education as, as do I. Uh, I want to, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with storytelling, something that I know you as part of your world. Um, so when you were growing up, was there someone in particular that was a good storyteller and kind of what made them a good storyteller?
1: Um, there were a lot of people. I mean, my folks would have had a lot of friends that came over often and and um, there was one friend, Joe, this is his first name, who he managed to just make everything funny. Like he could somehow tell a story. And it's funny that I don't remember the specific stories that he told, but I just remember that if Joe began telling a story about my dad or my mom when they were younger, I was going to be laughing. Um, and, and, and I wish I could remember, like I wish I could go back and, and crystallize what it was that he was doing. But again, I was too young to, to kind of do more than just appreciate it. But yeah, he was somebody who um, I always loved listening to his stories. For sure,
0: it's interesting you talk about humor because uh, I often reference that. I think comedians, successful comedians, are amazing storytellers. They, amazing. they take you on that journey. We don't even realize, like at least the ones I love. That's you know those anecdotal things that you're waiting for the punchline, and they think. And I love when you think you're going this way, and then they switch it at the last minute. Yeah,
1: and it's so seamless. It's effortless. It's it's yeah. like it's in their it's in their bones. Yeah.
0: What Chris, what was your first paying job?
1: Oh, my God. Okay, so I invented a job for myself in fifth grade where um, uh, Rubik's Cube was a big deal. And um, we got the little book that was like how to solve the Rubik's Cube, and I memorized how to do it. Um, I, I wish I could say that I learned how to do it on my own, but no, I didn't. I memorized it. I don't know and, that anyone does. Yeah, but I would um, charge kids 10 cents in fifth grade to reset their Rubik's Cubes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first. That was like my first paying job, I think. Um, yeah, Sorry, a little
0: entrepreneur. I,
1: yeah, I guess um, so. I guess so.
0: Ha- have you seen Speed Cubers, the documentary?
1: No, but I've seen some people do the cube fast online, and it's amazing.
0: It's a great. I highly recommend it. It's it's Speed pretty Cubers. awesome. Okay. Uh, yeah, Speed Cubers. It's it's um, knowing that you have any any kind of link to Rubik's Cube, you'll 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 appreciate it. Uh, but there's there's actually a pretty um, compelling story about the two characters the two people um, kind of you know the the champ and then the kind of champion and rising um, and their friendship and it's it's no it's it's quite it's quite a and and then just impressive in how they do it and the records they hold
1: i had so heard of you, it, but i'll check it out
0: yeah i i'm kind of curious so you know, your, your father's an accountant, your mother's kind of sales. And I think of you as being a very creative person, despite the fact that your degree was in physics and astronomy. So I'm kind of curious how you ended up there and then went to go kind of to a, a master's degree at MIT pursuing computer graphics. Like, where, where how did the, yeah. the kind of creative side and the tech side end up converging?
1: Sure. Um, so I had a really great physics teacher in high school. Tucker Hyatt was his name. And um, it was like the first subject that I had discovered in high school that I just really enjoyed doing. I mean, I could do the other things, but this one was every class was exciting and great. And when I went off to college, I, if you would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I might've still said astronaut when I went off to college. Cause I, I basically, that was my answer for, I have no idea. I don't know. And so I began, I kind of just rode that momentum of physics into the physics program at college and um, stuck with it. And it wasn't necessarily for love of physics as much as it was just carrying over the, the, the love of that I had learned about the subject from this incredible teacher. Um, you know, at the same time other things that were going on in my life were, were you know, I was a child of the Star Wars era and like visual effects and big blockbusters were a thing that I grew up around. And um, by the time, I can't remember exactly when it was, um, I was lucky enough to go on a tour of Industrial Light and Magic in 91. I think it might've been 91, January. And at the time they were still mostly classic special effects, but they had this sort of small office that was doing JP, they called it. It was Jurassic Park. They were in the process of figuring out how to make computer-generated dinosaurs. And I walked into this space where there are a dozen people wearing shorts with toys on their desks, big computers, and they're watching dinosaurs running around on their screens and trying to figure out ways to make them look better. And I instantly, instantly in that moment, I was like, oh, I know exactly what I want to do. These people are using computers, which have been a huge part of my life too, to do amazing spectacle things that people had never seen before. And there's a lot of math in there, but there's also a lot of art and storytelling. And those were just all, I was a kind of, I don't wanna say jack of all trades because it implies that I was good at all those things, but I was interested in all those things. Mm-hmm. And, and didn't imagine that there'd be a convergence, right? Like, But there it was in this one visit and I knew right away like, oh, I need to make films on computers. <laughs> that was like, ding, right? And it wasn't until I was, I was 20, 21 years old when that happened
0: love that aha moment you know jp you know having that um i remember seeing the movie and and um just being you know being blown away by you know. and and again as a as a child of star wars and and special effects and you know and again i think the the reason for me that i like those kinds of things is because i don't think about i don't question oh my god now there's you know light speed or whatever it may be or creatures it it seamlessly worked into the story, and that's that's I think the, the beauty yes. of when they're done well is you don't notice the effects, other than you're just mesmerized, and it enhances the story. Um, I,
1: I agree. When when it's when it's not spectacle for the sake of spectacle, but it is it is realizing a thing that otherwise wouldn't couldn't be seen, but was necessary. That's when I think it's really hitting the sweet spot.
0: And then the shift. So I'm curious uh, about Pixar because they are the kind of Gold standard for animation. I think will always be the gold standard. How did you end up there, and what was that experience like?
1: So uh, when I went to grad school, uh, I, as you mentioned, I, I went to the Media Lab at MIT, and I was I began studying fire synthesis. I wanted to create computer generated fire, and so that was my master's thesis project. And um, I went first from. Uh, from MIT to Rhythm and Hues, this is a visual effects studio in Los Angeles at the time that was doing you, you know them from from Babe um, mm-hmm. from uh, Golden Compass movies from um, I mean, I they, they, they were in business for many many years. Um, Life of Pi was I think the film mm-hmm. they got their last Oscar for just before they declared bankruptcy. Anyway, I did three years in uh, visual effects with Rhythm and Hughes, and and I, I loved the creativity, but I didn't like the vendor-client relationship that exists in VFX. Um, we had the you know the directors we'd work with would come in once every two weeks, to to you know bash on the things that we had done, uh, and then we'd have to go and fix them and everything. And I understood they're doing their jobs and we're doing ours, but. I wanted to parlay my experience as a computer graphics person into an actual studio job where we could, I would be in the trenches with the filmmakers and be part of the filmmaking team and not like the people you hired to do this task for you. Yeah. And And so that's why I went to Pixar.
0: You just went to, yeah. You make it sound like it was, (laughs) sorry, I, I I I started looking, I'm like, Pixar, I'm ready for you.
1: I started I started looking for a place that I could do that picture. I was in the process of they had just released Toy Story and they were growing like mad. Um I had some friends up there and um, made the switch and worked on a bug's life was the first project that I worked on there. And it was a it was like a 180-degree shift from the type of relationship that I had trouble with at RH. It was like you're working with the director and the director of photography and the art directors, like hand in hand as a group trying to make something great.
0: So when you, because it's, you come from the world of visual effects, which seems in from a layman's person, you're adding effects to live action as opposed to animation where you're generating everything from kind of, you know, the foundation and the scratch. Um, Was that a conscious, Decision that animation as opposed to visual effects, and do you, do you make a distinction between those kinds of things? Uh,
1: I I do make a little distinction, but Rhythm and Hughes had a pretty big portfolio, so they were doing visual effects. They also were doing fully animated ride films. Uh, they were doing fully animated commercials. So 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 Rhythm and Hughes is real. is a very diverse reel that includes VFX and full animation, and so so I got to do both of those when I was there. Um, and really, it was, you know, if you looked across the whole spectrum of who are the people making work under one roof to, you know with a, with a goal of storytelling, it was it was the animation studios. And then 1997, when this was going on, it was really Pixar was the one, you know, it was, it was Pixar and PDI. PDI released ants a couple of weeks before. A Bug's Life. And those were the two studios at the time successfully making animated feature films. So there was really only a couple of places to go, but it's the same technology. It's, I mean, you know, the same tools, same ideas,
0: yeah. Uh, so Chris, I want to ask you, what do you think is the most surprising place you found yourself? Whether that's a specific location or engaging with a specific person that earlier you would have like, I can't believe I'm talking to or I'm in this location.
1: No, I, I don't know. That is that is that's a very tough question, um, and I think that, you know, my answers would would not actually come from my professional experience so much. Um, that, you know, there there are moments like I was driving across the country one year with a friend of mine, and we were pulling into Zion National Park. This is before cell phones. This is, you know, I was a teenager. And there was like a two lane road in Zion National Park and we were stuck in traffic, we were going very slow and we were trying to figure out why. And it was because there were these bikers on the right side of the road, like a, you know, like a group of um, road bikers on a tour. And as we're inching our way past these bikers one at a time, I recognized that one of the bikers had one of those uh, butt packs with two water bottles in it, one on each side. And I say to my friend, I'm like, oh my God, my dad has one of those. Cause I'd never really seen those much before at the time. And as we pull up past this person, it's my father riding his bike in Utah. I had no idea he was going to be there. And it's like, so I rolled the window down and I was like, Hey dad. And he, he almost crashed. Cause he's like, wait, what are you doing here? Right. And so it's one of the, the I've had moments like that throughout my life where just circumstance has brought people into the same place that you would just never expect that to happen. And and honestly, those are those are the more like I'm surprised that uh, you know that type of thing happened. But yeah, I don't I don't think I have a professional example of answers to that question that I can think of.
0: I'll come back to later and well have, you know I want you to think on that.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll puzzle on it.
0: So Pixar is known not just for its technical ability, but for really embracing the the beauty, the power, the process of story. Uh, and I want to ask you coming from physics and astronomy and, and computer, um, then shifting into you know visual effects and then Pixar, where really story mattered. Do you think that being good at telling stories is a skill that can be developed? Or do you think you kind of were born with it or not?
1: I certainly hope so. Like, I am I mean, I think that my entire career path has been kind of predicated on the idea that yes, it is a, it is a learnable skill, a teachable skill. I think like all things practice helps. Um, and I think that uh, again, yeah, I, I think, I hope, I think I'm a better storyteller than I was 20 years ago. And, and I'm it might just be from being 20 years older. It also might be from reading all these texts that I've read, digesting all the stories that I've digested. And I'm not, I'm not sure where to point to, but um, I certainly feel like, you know, like all things, like if you want to, if you want to learn how to cook, um, you learn the tools, you learn the ideas, you study the, you study the way people do things whose work you admire, right? And that's the same thing that I've been applying to my own know school of of storytelling i've just been trying to to study those things that impress me and try to figure out why they work and then emulate them um and um you know so far so good but but i hope to have many more years of continuing to learn it because i just i love the subject
0: Uh, i think as an educator you know i think to be an educator you have to be in love with learning um at least the good the good educators i should say you know and Mm -hmm. for me you know, I, I'm taking a course right now and, and on a marketing tactic and it's being able to like know something today you didn't know yesterday is, is a pretty cool experience maybe it doesn't happen that quickly but over time you're like I know some stuff now and so I, I love that process and, and I love the process of being able to share that as I teach my kids whether it's you know board games or whatever riding a bike or all those things you know I think having knowledge and then being able to pass it on is pretty awesome and, and I'm assuming you must have that in you because of your you know teaching you know profession
1: that is a very satisfying thing yeah absolutely
0: uh speaking of satisfying i can imagine that uh the academy award experience was pretty awesome and so can you tell us a little bit about like finding out you were nominated and then you got one and like all that what was that what was that like
1: it was really an amazing experience um the thing that most people don't necessarily realize about the SciTech awards. So this was a SciTech award I received with three of my Rhythm and Hughes colleagues in 2014. And um, it's not like the, the normal academy method that we're familiar with where something that was done in the last year receives some acknowledgement and gets nominated and then is up for the running for that award with um, with some other competition. Um, the, the SciTech team, um, I don't know exactly how they work, but essentially every year they pick some subjects of, of of areas where they think innovation has occurred that they would like to honor, and then they send off some researchers to go and try to figure out, you know, who, who helped make this commonplace, right? Well, how did this happen? And so, you know, when I started at, at Rhythm and Hughes at 24 years old, um, and I worked there from before I was twenty four to twenty seven. Uh, one of one of the projects, the biggest project that I worked on there was was rewriting their animation software because it was very clear soon after I got there that their animation system was was um, not built to um, to grow with the studio. So it was like every new project that would come in required new software and you had to break the software, you had to use it in a way it wasn't intended to be used. And, you know, H in 94 had these really lofty goals and many of them they lived up to, right? Delivering, you know, getting Oscars for visual effects. Um, this was like, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was a I was a young engineer who thought, okay, if it's going to last for a while, we need to do this. And if it's, you know, we have to make assumptions that we're like, that we don't know what we need to know to make this work, right? We have to assume that someone's going to ask the studio to produce something like a dragon in a game of Thrones show, which they did a lot of. uh, And, and we won't know today how that's going to be done, but we need to make sure that the system is built so that it can do that. What decisions can we make? And, you know, me and this huge team of people who were working on this thing over the years all sort of were thinking that way with this forward thinking and then 17 years later we get a call from the academy saying your software program voodoo it was called voodoo uh you know is up for a sci oscar and you're like what and and so it was one of these things where um it was first of all it was an amazing opportunity to reconnect people i hadn't talked to in many years because I left Rhythm & Hughes in 97 and had gone off and then went and started teaching. And so, so just that whole process allowed me to reconnect with some of these great people that I worked with. And then to have that acknowledgement that, that the thing you were trying to do of being forward thinking and try to create a system that would last actually worked and, and, and it had a meaningful impact on the, on the industry, that felt great. And so again, though, it was like, it was like a time capsule because all the work I put in on this project was done by 97 other people picked it up and continued working on it and like dozens of engineers had their hands in the in, in, in that program to make it what it was but then 17 years later we get a call saying hey that thing you did was pretty awesome and so there was this like really surprise acknowledgement of a of, of this thing we did a long time ago um, and do you
0: still get an award do you actually get no
1: no card? you don't you get a plaque you get like a yeah. 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 It's not, it's not the actual Oscar. Yeah. But it's, it's still, still an Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I, well, I, I was happy. And we did get, we did get to go to a little black tie event in LA and, and, you know, sit and enjoy the company of, of all the, all the folks who were acknowledged that year. So it was great.
0: I mean, yeah, it's a legacy thing too. I mean, it's, you know, the fact that you're saying like something you guys were hard at work on has had that impact. I think, you know, Lots of people in their lives try and have impact, and and don't have a meaningful impact in, in the, that's recognized necessarily.
1: Yeah, so you know, funny. it felt it, it. This hasn't happened to me enough yet, <laughs> but I think that like you mentioned, all te- Mitch- right, you mentioned teachers, and and I, I know that I have told this physics teacher of mine, Tucker Hyatt, how, how thankful I was for his mentorship as a high school student. This is like having a, some student you work with come back 17 years later and say these things you said or did or whatever were really influential and helpful in my life like having these people come back and say these things you did many many years ago you know still have repercussions in the industry and it's, it's just it's it's nice you know it's nice to know that often we put good energy into the world and don't know what happens to it and sometimes that's just fine but sometimes if you can hear back it's 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 a really cool thing to to know that there was a Good so by most
0: measures having that kind of achievement people would you know say pretty, pretty amazing success how does chris perry define success
1: oh i'm still trying to figure that out um, i think you know there's this kind of popular capitalistic model which is like getting paid for doing work you love to do is like a measure of success i, I almost want to go even like strip away the money from that if you I think if your days are fulfilling and you're doing something that you're passionate about I think that's that's I feel pretty good about those days so I I feel very successful if I have a run of those days even months or weeks like that that feels pretty great and you know I'm kind of a believer that that passion will open doors right like you put in the energy and um, people will, will will start noticing um and so yeah it's it's um but i'm still and like i said i'm still trying to figure that out for myself right we all make decisions every day about okay this is this choice i'm making today is going to send me on a slightly different path than, than i've been on up till today will it will Maybe it be successful? Yeah.
0: And the, the educators, the learners in us are like, you know, the iterations, you know, h- how you iterate to go along that path and making those decisions and, and then seeing what happens and making another decision. and see Take A little bit.
1: Yeah, that didn't work so well, but I did like this part of it.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, I refer to that, you know, people say, you know, how you're doing and things. I'm like, I'm a work in progress, you know, both personally right. and professionally. I'm a work in progress. I think that's a good place to be for most of your life.
1: I I I I love that. I'm gonna borrow that expression. Thank you. <laughs>
0: uh Chris, what inspires you? So we're talking about passion. What, what what inspires you to pursue those little choices and decisions you make?
1: Um you know it's it's I'm inspired by a lot of different things. Um something that makes anything that makes me look at the world in a slightly different way like you know that peels back a layer that I might not be aware of I'm totally inspired by that I I feel like in the work in progress uh, kind of ongoing work in progress thing like I know I don't know everything I I should know and I I know that I'm probably making silly ignorant mistakes every day still that if someone just like points out to me this thing uh, that It might make my life easier and the lives easier of those people around me. So so I'm always inspired by learning and by peeling back those layers that are that are hiding the truth that are in front of us right now. I'm inspired by any creative thing that gives me an emotional reaction. Like honestly. And and you know, I watch a lot of shows, I watch a lot of animation, I read a lot. And You know, one of the things I've come to recognize, and this happens teaching too. This is going to be a tangent for a second. Sorry. Um, I tell my students when I start teaching Animation 1, most people who come to Computer Animation 1 class are fans of the medium, right? They've never done it themselves, but they're like, this is really cool and I'd like to learn more about it. So they show up as fans. And I warn them on day one, I say, look, I'm going to ruin animation for you. Because when you try to make it, you're going to start hating it but good news because you're, because you're going to know how it all works and, and you'll start seeing through things that you used to be really charmed by. And you're going to see that they were you know made a little sloppily or like there's things about them. You're going to start, you know, you're going to see through the cracks, if you will. And I say, but the good news is the good news is while I'm going to ruin 90% of it for you, there's still going to be 10% of animation that you see that's going to blow you away and you're not going to know why you're crying or why you're having this emotional feeling. And, and it won't be until you watch it a second or a third time that you might see the craft's work underneath there. And so for me, going back to answering this question, again, if you play a short for me that moves me, Because like I know animation, I live it, I breathe it, I see it every day. If I can watch a piece of animation and not realize that I'm watching animation and just be floored, that inspires me because it reminds me that, like, oh yes, this isn't just turning a crank. Like there are the right combination of writing and color and light and performance and timing and music, all those things can still transcend their themselves, right? In the same way that 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 um like milk and tomato paste and ground pork and ground beef can become a bolognese sauce right like one of those things on their own like somehow it's better than the sum of its parts and and so that inspires me when when i can have an emotional response to something that somebody wrote or filmed or shot or created yeah
0: yeah having worked in the film industry and recognizing all those ingredients that go into making something successful it's actually amazing sometimes that any of them aren't successful because you know that too many cooks in 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 the uh, in the kitchen but when it when it happens it's magic and you know and and movies that i love you go and you're just like they just got it so right and um it makes it it special And, and i i think the food is a great analogy because you know you can have all the raw ingredients and then you put them together in the right amounts in the right way and oh my god it's you know a masterpiece and uh, yeah I
1: love like that. you and i each have the same set of ingredients we might make two very different things <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's why I, there was a long time ago that i thought it'd be really cool if i was a billionaire i'd, I'd have two famous directors make the same movie Ooh, from the same yeah. script and just to, and then have two different versions and perspectives because i love you know you talked about earlier like being able to see the world from a different perspective. And that's why I think, you know, when I read a book that's turned into a movie, and you know, everyone's many people criticize, oh, it wasn't as good as the book. Right. Um, and, and it's because they fell in love with the story as a book and they had and, you know their mm-hmm. imagination created, you know, and then when it doesn't live up to and I think there are times where it you know surpasses the expectations. And, and um but again that creative process of those ingredients coming together. To, to make that magic, you know, to make that emotional connection is really what I think good storytelling and, and is all about. Hear, hear. So Chris, we're works in progress, but if you could go back and give one piece of advice to your 21-year-old self, hmm. what would it be?
1: Only one? One piece of advice?
0: One piece? One, we only have time for one.
1: One piece of advice, I would say, uh, take better care of your body. <laughs> yeah oh, as i stretch exactly I, I exactly like stretch good hydration right uh like like make exercise a nice regular thing there, there's so many things that you learn as you start to weaken and get older that you're like oh god
0: Sadly i can relate that yeah
1: yeah so yes take care of yourself 21 year old self <laughs>
0: <laughs> um what do you think is you know you were kind of Working when you're at RnH on pretty innovative things that kind of changed the game. Um, what do you think's next in terms of you know animation, or in terms of what's going to be the next you know thing that's yeah. going to happen or is happening?
1: Oh, this is great questions. Um, one of the big things that's happening right now in my field is uh, the arrival of real-time rendering, courtesy of uh, game engine technology. So in case your listeners don't know this stuff, uh, you know, the, tech, the technology that creates Pixar movies you know, as from math, and the technology that creates Call of Duty or Overwatch or other games from math are, are the same. It's the same math. But when I was on Bugs Life, it would take an hour to generate a frame of that movie. And now you can download a game onto your PlayStation or to your to your PC and you're going to get 60 of those frames a second. Okay, so something that took an hour that took 60 minutes to make now you can get 60 of them in a second. and. Um, it's because the game industry came of life and and prioritized speed of rendering and high quality visuals so they have written software and created hardware that is like all about how do we make high quality visuals as fast as we can because otherwise the play experience kind of stinks well the filmmakers are starting to figure this out now and so um I'm just finishing a project, which I'll probably mention later, where we used the, the Unreal Engine, which is the engine that is what drives the game Fortnite and many others. But Epic Games has this engine called the Unreal Engine that is a real-time game engine. We just use it to make a short film. And it, it, you know, it's not just that it renders faster, it also kind of changes your approach to the actual making of it. And so I think this is going to be revolutionary in the field of computer animation how are how are jane and joe q public going to notice it i'm not sure but i would say my hope is that there'll be a greater number of voices like right now to to make a big animated film picture probably costs 150 million dollars or more right but if you can make one for a million dollars with 20 people in a garage in a in a year that might democratize the industry a little bit more and bring a few more voices in. And what I'd love to see for that is then we'll start we'll start seeing different types of stories. Like not everything has to be a four-quadrant family feature. It's okay to be tragic and sad and dramatic or, you know, adult animation is kind of taking off right now. So you can be edgy and raunchy and 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 what have you. So I'd love to see this technology help make animation the medium that it's supposed to be and not a genre like it kind of is so that's that's one big up and coming thing and you know the other big one we we're all in the middle of which is the streamers and the fact that now that distribution is not in the hands of a few uh, you know theater companies and, Um, and yeah like and it doesn't cost a huge amount of money to get something distributed. I can put my own work online for free and still build my audience. That I think is another thing that we're only just seeing the implications of that. Because because again, animation requires such a high skill set and so many people working together. But how do these two things converge over the next 10 years? I'm going to be very excited to watch and participate well, that- in it.
0: The streaming thing, you know, I think the music industry is, is a few steps ahead.
1: Yes, exactly. Because there
0: are people who are releasing albums, just releasing them on Spotify or you know, or in iCloud, you know, cloud um, without the need of the record labels and things. And so, as you said, I think if the if the ease with which you can produce animation becomes down to you know, both in cost and, and ease, then that then you'll and then the distribution is already now in place um, where you can build that audience online and without having them. And I love that, that again, I think A, it allows for the diversity of voices and B, allows anyone access both to make and consume.
1: Yes, that's great, it's great.
0: So what about, what's next for Chris Perry? Uh,
1: Well, okay, so um, we're gonna take this short film that I was just finishing, we're we're finishing it up. we're going to be taking that to festivals and hopefully coming to a screen near you sometime soon.
0: Can you share the title or
1: it's called little bird, little bird. And it's a, it's a, it's short, it's like a three minute animated short made in this game engine. And it's about a young astronaut. Oh, there's a lot of connection, here. a young astronaut who is trying to rescue her dad. So I'll, I'll leave it there. So little bird. Um, and you mentioned in my intro, I have a book coming out. So uh, a colleague of mine, Eric Sanders, who you may or may not know, um, Eric and I have written a book that is a, it's part of the screenwriting literature, but it's specifically a book called Scene Writing. And mm-hmm. we found in our years of teaching screenwriting that there are a lot of options out there for three-act structure, you know, long story arcs, how to beat out a script. Like there's a lot of structure-minded books out there, but we found that, that when students actually need to translate a beat outline into a script, there's not enough instruction to guide them on how do you actually do that? It's not easy. Um, and we found that all of our time in our classes were spent helping talk through the sort of fundamentals of how do you get this scene out in, in a clear and coherent and most importantly, engaging way. And so we decided we'd write a book about it. And so we have an entire book coming out, uh, should be out in spring of 2022 um, from Bloomsbury Press called Scene Writing. And it's uh, it, it will help you or anybody you know who wants to translate their ideas into actual screenplay form do so focused on the building blocks of every great film and tv show which is the scene
0: yeah i've used it 20 years ago when i wrote a number of very mediocre scripts and <laughs> read some of those big structure books and failed at the scene so yeah um it's it's an art and, and um i'll be excited so we're, to we're see hoping it, it, see how it can help me
1: we're hoping it makes a dent and provides something to complement all those other structure books um because there are great ones out there
0: yeah it sounds like you're really feeling a need which is which Hope is so. awesome. Uh, we're now at the section where I call this my rapid fire. Nine rapid fire questions.
1: Ooh, okay, you know, gotta
0: get ready and you know prepare yourself. First kind of thing that comes to your mind. Okay. So, if a movie was made about your life, who would you want to play you?
1: I I have no idea, but can I be written by uh, Aaron Sorkin? That's what <laughs> I like want. That. Can I can the I make a request? Okay.
0: Yeah, sure. We allow that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm pretty sure about um, the answer to here, but you know, should should stories always have happy endings?
1: No, no.
0: So Pixar didn't quite brainwash you completely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's room for stories with happy endings, but I think I think we learn more from failure, and so I think there should be out there too. Yeah.
0: Uh, can you name your favorite emoji? Tomorrow's World Emoji Day. So, what's your favorite emoji? My
1: favorite day? emoji. Um, It's, I'm so boring, I use the thumbs up all the time.
0: (laughs) So boring. I think I do too. I actually created (laughs) a purple one to go with my branding.
1: Oh, good. Okay, great. Uh,
0: What's your favorite, can you name one of your favorite songs? Uh, Current, hot
1: on my rotation right now is uh, Harmony Hall by Vampire Weekend.
0: What's your favorite social media platform? I don't spend
1: a lot of time on them, but I would say that Instagram is the one that uh, is easiest for me to get the most out of when I do spend time with it, yeah.
0: Can you name a book that left a lasting impression on you? Many,
1: um, but I will name one. Uh, Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson.
0: Now, this is a very tough question for most, but probably more so for people like you and I. Can you name one of your favorite movies? <laughs>
1: I'm glad you phrased it as one of my favorites. That's an easy one. That, that's the only way to do yeah. it. If you say favorite, then I can't do it. Um, Little Miss Sunshine.
0: I always my my joke is that I have um, when people say you know can you name your top ten I have a hundred movies in my top ten list. <laughs> that
1: sounds
0: about right. <laughs> um, what's one thing you can't live without?
1: Blender. I need a blender. Like at least one meal a day is blended.
0: And if you could be credited with inventing something other than voodoo, uh, what would it be and why?
1: Uh, I would like to be credited for inventing a sustainable business model for higher education because it is broken and, uh, somebody is gonna figure something out that will work because we do need education, but the way we pay for it right now is dumb.
0: Uh, thank you, that's the end of the formal portion. Uh, last thing, you've been great and you talked about uh, both the book and the, and the short. Is there anything else you wanna share about projects you're working on, things you think people should know about or anything of that nature?
1: Uh, no, I mean, I think that, um, you know, we're going to try to bring the short out to the world. And it's a kind of teaser, as you'll see when you can eventually see it, for a, a longer story involving the same characters in the same world, um, which is exciting. And, um, yeah, I, I no, I don't think there's anything else right now to share, but thank you.
0: And if people are interested in finding out more about Chris Perry or want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to be connected?
1: Uh, they could probably first stop is maybe bitfilms.com. That's, uh, it's not a often maintained website, but it kind of has the, the broad strokes of some of the films that I've done, a little bit of information about me. Um, that's probably a good starting place.
0: Chris, th- this has been super fun. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've known you a long time. And the fact that our paths sort of professionally converge and our love of animation, love of movies, um, is pretty wonderful. And, and so thanks for sharing uh, yourself so um, thoughtfully. And thank you for helping us connect the dots. Thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast. Please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could also do me a favor and please leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. Remember, story matters and is the best way to connect the dots.